Thank you, Kathy, for leading us in prayer. There's a story about a man in his early 40s who had just found out that he had cancer and didn't have long to live. A good friend stopped by to visit him and to ask him this question. He said, you got to tell me, man, what, what do you do? What do you do when you get that kind of news? And he said, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named, whatever it was, Fu Manchu, <laughs> and I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you'll have the chance to live like you were dying. <laughs> I even got the cowboy boots on. <laughs> that was the opera version of Tim McGraw, I guess. <laughs> Think about that a little bit. Live like you were dying. Last week, Tom talked to us about the incredible hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and I tell you, I was overjoyed. We were driving on the way home from Kansas City and listening uh, on the YouTube and, and the powerful service. We could just sense God's Spirit in the car as we were driving. And, and it was an awesome day as we were reminded of the hope of the resurrection, the hope that conquers death and hell and the grave. And I, I emailed Tom this week. I said... I said, uh, let's see, you have, I was thinking about his background that he told us about. Uh, he grew up United Methodist. He um, had some influence of the Presbyterian Church. He went to a Baptist college. Uh, he preached in a Quaker church, and now he works in a Reformed church. But I said, Tom, you're missing one. I think there was a little Pentecost bleeding through last Sunday. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I can't help it. So uh, what a wonderful time we had celebrating the hope that we have in Christ. He talked to us from Philippians chapter 1 about uh, being with Christ is better far. To be with Christ is better by far. And then Paul said, but to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So there was this idea that, yes, we have a hope out there, but there's a purpose for us here. And that's what I want to talk to you today about is why we are still here. Paul said it this way, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In fact, I'd like to read that scripture that he uh, taught from last week from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, or chapter 1, I'm sorry, and we read these words. Yes, I will continue to, uh, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing that is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my, deliverance, for my deliverance. I eagerly expect that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. 
For to me to live is Christ. Can we say that together? For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be part and to be with Christ, which is far better, as Tom told us last week. I loved the stories that he told about people who had experienced that little bit of heaven. To be with Christ is far better. But if I'm going to be living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me and for you. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word today. We have been, uh, in this month, we're talking about the subject of hope. And I want to give you a definition of hope that we're going to be using for the next few weeks. If I could have the next slide. Hope is a confident expectation in a guaranteed promise. We think of hope a lot of times as kind of a wishful thinking. But biblical hope is a confident expectation in a guaranteed promise. If I could describe it this way, uh, when I was growing up, I I apologize to the educators out there, but I didn't like school much. (laughs) I had a lot of things I liked doing a lot better. There was so much to explore outdoors, outside those windows, and I'd daydream about it all day. But there was one event on the calendar that kept me going all year long. In fact, I started thinking about it September 1st on the first day of school. And you know what that event was? It was on May 31, school picnic. And it kept me going all year. That, that, was, the, that was the day when all the, the parents of uh, the students at Oski Christian School would get together. Uh, we'd play games all day long. Uh, the seventh graders would play the eighth graders in a, in a softball game. And then the eighth graders would play their dads in a softball game. And it always felt so good to beat them when you were an eighth grader. Didn't happen very often. Uh, but the best part about school picnic was the, the dads would bring in this great big old stock tank. And it was filled with ice, and you could dig down in the ice for an ice cold Mountain Dew. Remember those bottles that said it'll tickle your innards? <laughs> School picnic, five cents could buy you your pop. And we didn't drink pop any other time of the year except for school picnic. There was a date on the calendar, May 31, that we looked forward to all year long a confident expectation in a guaranteed promise. You know, there's a date on God's calendar that Tom talked about last week, and it is the hope, the guaranteed promise that gives us a confident expectation for every day that we live down here. But today we're going to talk about hope deferred, and that's that uncomfortable time of waiting between what we see out there what God has promised, that date that we know is on God's calendar, and then the stuff of life. Our text comes from Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12, where Solomon said, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Can I ask you an honest question today? Does anyone have a sick heart? (laughs) Does anyone have a little bit troubled today by what we're seeing around us? Is there anyone besides me that just gets up some mornings and says, wow, is it going to get any better ever? There's a phrase. We're going to talk about three people in Scripture, by the way, that, that, uh, that t- tell us how to live in this hope-deferred moment. We're going to talk about Joseph and David and Jesus Christ himself. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. Before we do, I want to tell you a phrase that just sends me over the edge every time I hear it. 
It's a phrase we've been listening to for the last year over and over again, and it makes my blood boil. You know what that phrase is? Flourishing in exile. <laughs> for, for those of you who aren't part of Third Church, that's our theme. Pastor Kevin had a prophetic uh, word from God about a year and a half ago that we were going to be going in exile. Who knew, huh? And he's been teaching us, and, and if that's not enough, we're going to do another year talking about being in exile. All right, doesn't that sound exciting? I'm sorry, Pastor Kevin, but I don't want to flourish in exile. I want to flourish in my own backyard with my white picket fence and the bright green grass and a two-car garage and a boat and a camper and whatever else I might want. That's where I want to flourish. Thank you. The fact of the matter is we're living in a day, as Kevin has talked about all year, where we're being pushed into the margins. And it's not a very comfortable place to be. It's hope deferred. And it makes the heart sick. You see, I look around us today and I, it, it, it vexes my spirit to see what's right called wrong and what's wrong called right. It vexes my spirit to see the riots and the disunity and the hatred and the division. It vexes my spirit to see the fear that is rampant all around us to the point where we suspect everyone to be a bearer of disease. It breaks my heart that we, that, that we can't right now look into each other's face and eyes and see the, the image of God on the face of one another. We were created. We were created to interact, to engage with each other. And I got to tell you, this social distant thing is killing me. And I'm kind, of a, I'm kind of a back 40 kind of guy. It, I, I'm kind of surprised, really. But we were, we were created to engage one another. We were created to see the likeness of God on each face. And I'm convinced that the end game of the enemy in all of this is to reduce us to a faceless people who are devoid of interaction and who are fearful and distrustful of everyone around them. And my friends, this is not a debate about masks or anything like that. This is what I believe the enemy is trying to do in so many ways to try to pull us apart from one another and, and lose sight of who we are in Jesus Christ and who we are together. And I believe that it is time, I'll get out of off the subject for just a little bit, it's time for us as the church to continue to move forward to a day that we can bring the smiles <laughs> of a transformed face to one another in the kingdom of God. That was for free. I wasn't even planning to go there. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, like I said a little bit ago, I don't want to flourish in exile, and if the truth were known... I'd rather kick the teeth out of whoever's holding me there. Could I suggest this morning, is it possible that we could do both? Is it possible that by flourishing in exile, we can put the enemy to flight? Is it possible that by the Holy Spirit working within us, that the enemy has to flee? 
It's okay for us to talk about being pushed to the margins. It's going to happen. It is happening. It'll happen even more. But we don't stay there just quietly waiting for Jesus to come. He has commissioned us to engage people by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do so, we can kick the crap out of the devil. And I'm tired. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little wound up here. But I'm tired of thinking about living my life in the margin. You look at the New Testament church. Yes, they were pushed to the margins, but they kept coming back with the message of the resurrection. They kept coming back and said, but God said. They kept coming back and said, Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. So in our uh, pl place, placing in the margins, let's not become discouraged. Let's not become defeated. Let's begin to sing the praises of Zion, even though we're in a foreign land. That's what flourishing exile looks like. And when we do so, we can take back territory that the enemy has stolen from us. Three people that I want us to look at today who flourished in exile in one way or another. The first one is Joseph. If I could have the next slide. And with him, we're going to talk about this hope deferred time, the time between the dream and the palace. And we're not going to spend a lot of time with this. You know the story of Joseph. But there's a few key points that I want us to recognize about his life. The first one is this. He spoke the dream out loud. Now, for a lot, I grew up the youngest of seven boys. And I know for a fact that if I would have told them the dream that Joseph had, that I would have probably got a pretty rough treatment. <laughs> One of these days, all you guys are going to bow down to me. Joseph was number 10 out of 12, and I've, all my life I always thought, Joseph, why didn't you just keep your mouth shut when you had that dream? Would have gone a lot better for you. But might I suggest to you today that when God gives us a dream, we need to speak it out loud? Might I suggest that the power of the gospel comes when we preach the word of God, when there is an entire civilization that was dependent upon that dream that he had? He didn't even know it at the time. But there was a famine that was coming, and Joseph was the salvation for that famine. And if he'd have kept his mouth shut, he'd have been able to dance around in his coat of many colors the rest of his life and been just fine. But he spoke the dream, and all of a sudden he got pushed to the margins because of his dream. He spoke the dream, and by his brothers and by his captors, he got pushed into a dungeon and then by false accusation, he got put into prison. And then after a few years in prison, he interpreted a dream. He told the butler and the baker their dream. The baker died. The butler went back. And he said, when you go back to the king, remind him about me, please. And he forgot. So there he was. He was slandered, imprisoned, and forgotten. He was in exile. It was that hope deferred moment in Josh, Joseph's life. But I want to tell you something, he never forgot the dream that God gave him. He never forgot the dream that God gave him. And the hope that was deferred in his life became a tree of life, as Proverbs says, to all of the people in Egypt and his own family in Israel. The time that was elapsed there was 16 years from the time that he got his dream until the time he got to the palace. 16 years that he held on to that dream. And then it was another 10 years before his father came and he was vindicated in front of his brothers. That's a long time to live on the margins. But he was faithful to the dream that God had given him. The next person we'll look at is David. 
Hope deferred for David was the time between the call and the coronation. He was anointed in Bethlehem at the age of 12. He became the palace musician for Saul at the age of 14. He defeated Goliath at a, somewhere between the ages of 15 and 17. And I'm sure by this time, if, if I'd have been David, I'd have been thinking, man, this is pretty cool. I get anointed to be king at 12. By 14, I'm in the king's palace playing the harp for the king. 15, I go out and defeat Goliath and all the armies of the Philistines. And we come home and all the ladies in town are singing this song. They're saying, Saul has killed his thousands. David is ten thousands. And everyone was shouting and playing tambourines and dancing because of David's victory. He probably thought, man, I'm on the fast track to the palace. I'm anointed king. 15 years old, <laughs> and I'm going to be king. Guess how much longer he had to wait? About another 16 years being chased by Saul all over the kingdom. He was forced to the margins, but all in all that time, the anointing of God stayed on him. And he believed, and he stayed true to that anointing in his life. And even when he had opportunity, you remember the story when he had the opportunity to do it his way? And to kill Saul, he said, no, God's time will be right. And that might be a word for some of you here today. Maybe you've been in this waiting, in this, this interim time, in this hope deferred time for a long time. I want you to know that if you're faithful, don't get ahead of God's timing. He will provide for you. He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. The anointing stayed with David, and he stayed faithful to God, and, and one day he became the king. The last person we want to talk about is our Savior, the time between the temple and the tomb. He was the 12-year-old temple wanderer. Remember when he was in the temple, and uh, the, the scribes were all quizzing him about Bible history and theology, and he was amazing them with all of his knowledge of the Scripture. He was the anointed one. At age 30, he went to the Jordan River where the Holy Spirit settled on him in the form of a dove and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, the voice from heaven said. And then he was the tempted one as, as Satan took him to the God actually took him to the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. And he was faithful during that time. And then he was a master on a mission. He was the master of the winds and the waves. He was the master over death. He was the master over leprosy. He was the master over everything as he went about, as Acts said, doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the enemy. And then at age 33, he was the king on a colt as he entered into Jerusalem while all of Jerusalem was shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then came four days later, a trial where he was falsely accused. He was beaten within an inch of his life. He was ridiculed even as he hung on the cross after they had driven the nails in his hands. They mocked him with a crown of thorns on his head. They put a sign over him that said, Jesus, the King of the Jews. And as he hung on that cross gasping for breath, it says people went by wagging their heads and saying, he could save others, but himself he cannot save. If you're the Son of God, come down from there, and you and I both know, we all know that if he had desired, he had all the dispatch of heaven to come down off of that cross. But he understood 
the significance of that hope deferred, that it was uh, for the joy of our salvation he endured the cross, Hebrews says, because there was a plan that God had and he was faithful to that plan. And because he was faithful, three days later on Easter Sunday, we sang about it already, he became the champion over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus Christ, our champion. I'm going to get a little bit, I'm going to push a little bit here today and get a little bit messy, all right? There's a lot of talk today as we're living in this time of hope deferred and living in the margins there's a lot of talk today about what would Jesus do now. Have any of you ever asked that in your home or in your prayer time? What would Jesus do right now if he was here? <laughs> would Jesus wear a mask? Or would Jesus not wear a mask? Would Jesus demonstrate with the protesters? Or would Jesus back the police department? Would Jesus... Would Jesus stand for the national anthem? Or would Jesus kneel for the national anthem? Am I the only one that thinks these kind of questions? It's a confusing time when we're in the margins, when we're in this hope-deferred time. Could I suggest to you today that that's the wrong question? I know that there's been books about what would Jesus do. We even had a big movement with the bracelets, remember? WWJD. It's not wrong, but it's the wrong question. The question should not be, what would Jesus do? The question is, what has Jesus done? I'm going to mess with you for just a little bit here. Don't kick me out on this. Don't throw me out, all right? If the only thing that we are going on is the teachings of Christ... We don't have anything better than Muhammad or Confucius or Buddha or anyone, another number of religious leaders that have come and gone. The hope that we have, the victory that we have as followers of Christ is not because of the Beatitudes, which I love. It's not because of the Sermon on the Mount, which I love. It's not because of the wonderful parables that Jesus taught, which I love. What sets our gospel apart from every other gospel is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus went to the cross and atoned for our sins, and three days later he came out as the champion, and he brought the kingdom of God to us. Our gospel is not. Okay, look out here. Calm down, Phil. Our gospel is not just about the teachings of Christ. It's not just about what would Jesus do. It is about what Jesus did on our behalf, and it has given us hope to live like we are dying. That's why I sang that song, by the way. I want us as the people of God to start living like we're dying. When we lose our fear of death, all of a sudden it changes everything about our lives. It changes the way we engage people. It changes the way we love people. It changes everything about us. And if I can really mess with you for one more minute today, I want to I ask you this. Do you suppose Jesus went around doing this? Be safe. Janet, stay home. Mike, 
be safe? Or did Jesus go around, Vicky, the kingdom of God is here. Mike, the kingdom of God is here. Janet, go tell everybody, the kingdom of God is here. Can I tell you something today? There is nothing safe about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing safe about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, the power of Jesus Christ comes when we die, when we are dead. When we are dead to ourselves and to everything around us, all of a sudden we become alive in Christ. Now, I've got some scripture to show you on that, but I want to tell you about the movie Band of Brothers first. You remember the scene in the Band of Brothers when uh, there's a, uh, I don't know, remember if it's a private or who it was, Blythe, who falls asleep in a foxhole or in a, in a bunker, and when he comes back awake, he doesn't go to find his battalion. He just kind of stays there. And when uh, Lieutenant Spears finds out about him, he comes to him. He says, so tell me, why? Why didn't you look out for the rest? Why didn't you follow us? Why didn't you look for us? And he said, well, I was afraid. I was scared. And Lieutenant Spears looked him right in the eye and he said, we're all scared. We're all scared. But then he went on to say, the only way that you're going to become a true soldier is when you understand you're already dead. That's how Christ has asked us to live. And that's how the power of the gospel is transferred uh, around the world. It's when people are not afraid of dying. People who are already dead. Can I give you the scriptures? Uh, could I have the next slide, please? There's a couple of them I want you to catch from Galatians. These will be for your study this week. Galatians, uh, Philippians 1, 20 through 24, we already read where it says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Galatians 2, 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the, of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then I want to read this one from Colossians. This is powerful. I had almost uh, forgotten this until I watched that clip from Band of Brothers, and all of a sudden, I think there's some scripture about that. It's in Colossians chapter 3. Listen to this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then it says this, and this is that school picnic I was talking about. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then will you also appear with him in glory. That's that hope. That's that, that, that date that's fixed on God's calendar when everything's going to be made right. But until then, we live like we're dying. As the praise team comes, I've got one more thought I want to pass along to you today. 
as I was praying about this this week, I, it occurred to me that when Jesus went to heaven, ascended to heaven, and he called the disciples and he said, I want you to go to the upper room. And what did he say, tell them to wait for? Does anyone remember what he said? Wait for the promise of the Father. Now, here's a truth that I want you to grab a hold of today. That promise of eternal life that's way out there that we're looking for someday when Jesus comes and makes all things right, the Bible says that the promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit who is given to us as a down payment. The Bible says He's the earnest of our inheritance. That promise that's out there, He's not just leaving us alone to grapple and and hope that we can get there someday. He gave us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can live like He lived, so that people can be healed, people can be uh, saved, people can be even raised from the dead. All of the things Jesus said that I did, you can do also even greater things than these shall you do because I go to my Father and I leave with you the Holy Spirit. So in the waiting, grab a hold of that hope that talks about triumph. I can't remember the words to that. They're going to sing it in just a little bit while we're in the waiting. Hold on to the hope as the triumph unfolds. We're in the waiting. But as this song says, that's not a bad place to be. I encourage you one last time, to live like you're dying.